0: Good morning all three dimensional and um t- two dimensional beings excuse me I know you're not you're not really two dimensional but my limited perception makes you look that way as Colin said um We practiced together at a Tassahara Zen monastery in the mountains. Um, Wonderful memories from those old days. My memory is that Colin really like helped keep that place going <laughs> Tassahara. it really um, it's a complicated place to keep going to because it's off the grid and it's everything's always falling apart <laughs> and it's big and, and complex and, uh, and uh, Colin was key person there and also saving it from fire and so on and then yes we did this pilgrimage to the The Indian uh, holy sites of the Buddha in 2014. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great memories from that time, too. And uh, it was maybe, maybe it was since then that I've been back here, but it feels like some years. And I maybe met some of you before, it's hard to remember a while <laughs> so this fall um, I've been at Austin Zen Center up the road and uh, we had a practice period where the uh, the Dharma theme we were exploring is Buddha nature And uh, many things could be said about Buddha nature. Many things can't be said about Buddha nature. But I thought I'd continue with that theme today in a a story, a Zen story. It's one of my favorites that doesn't mention the term Buddha nature, but I think it's about Buddha nature. In the uh, in the collections of old Zen stories, these koan stories, in the Gateless Barrier collection, it's number 19, story number 19, called uh, Ordinary Mind is the Way. Anyone know that story? Well, this is great. (laughs) This is great. This is one of my favorite stories. And, you know, if, if you heard it a lot of times, it's, Maybe be maybe be boring, <laughs> but uh, maybe it won't be if you haven't heard it before. It's a kind of a a kind of a zazen instruction story. You could hear it that way, and um, in case I forget to mention the connection to Buddha nature, is that ordinary mind could be seen as a definition of Buddha-nature, a synonym of Buddha-nature. Which maybe sounds strange because we think Buddha-nature is like this, the awakened reality essence of all sentient beings, the way that uh, all, all living beings share in this aspect of awakened nature, whether they're aware of it or not. Um, sounds kind of exalted, it's mysterious Buddha nature. But if we call it ordinary mind, it's maybe sounds a lot more ordinary. I do think that uh, ordinary mind is a, is another way of talking about Buddha nature. Both in the Zen tradition, it's early early Zen in China. This was a popular um, phrase, ordinary mind. Uh, and also in um, Tibetan Buddhist traditions, interestingly, it's a whole different language and, it, you know, different roots of the tradition, but they also use this term ordinary mind uh, in the same way for this amazing reality of Buddha nature. So the story... Uh, is that this is, like, maybe the 8th century in China, and uh, one of the great Zen ancestors, when he was a young practitioner trying to understand how to practice, his name was Zhao Zhou, and he went to his teacher, Chuan, uh, and asked him, as they did in the old days and sometimes in, in present times, people want, want to, like, go right to the root of the matter. So Zhao Zhou came to his teacher, Nan Quan, and said, What is the way? And, uh, the way, or in, in Chinese, the Tao, is, um, this term from so-called Taoism, Way Wei, Wayism, from ancient times before before the Buddha's teachings ever came to China, there was Wayism, and the Way. This is like Lao Tzu, right? Around lived around the time of the Buddha, but in China, and he would say things like, um, "The way that can be spoken of is not the true way." Things like this were said about the Tao. The Tao is like the source of all things, but we can't really say what it is. Um, that's the Taoist tradition. And then when Buddhism came to China, they um, they saw some similarities. So they started translating these Indian Buddhist terms, sometimes using Taoist terms. And they used the Tao, or the way, to translate like enlightenment, um, awakening in, uh, in China. Interesting example of how, um, of how, like, uh, when Buddhism comes to a new country, there's this kind of cross-cultural meeting and they're, they're looking for ways to, um, understand this Indian tradition in Chinese culture. So, um, the Indians might say, what, you're translating bodhi? Or, in Sanskrit, bodhi is like enlightenment or awakening. You're translating that as the way? That's bizarre. What are you people thinking? (laughs) (laughs) The Indians might have said that, some of them anyway. But uh, it's stuck all the way up to today in the Zen tradition. The way kind of a Taoist term. Which, and now we have it in English, right? So the Tao is usually translated as the way. And uh, I think it's pretty good in English because um, the way has this kind of double meaning in English. It's like, we, can, we talk about the way things are, like the way it is, there's that way. And then there's like the way to do something is a different meaning of way, right? The way it is, is just like things are thus. This is the way it is. How, how, how are things right now? Well, they're this way. You can use way like that. That's kind of nice for describing the, the mysterious true nature of how it is. It's this way. But then, well, how do we practice it, though? Um, Well, this is the way to practice opening to this way. (laughs) I think in English, I think it works quite well, the way for the Tao. And Tao works, I think, quite well for awakening the heart of the Buddha realized. So um, because they were in China, Zhao Zhou asked his teacher, "What is the way?" And maybe he, maybe he meant them. Um, "What is Tell me how it is. <laughs> really. How is it? How is it right now?" He might have been asking that, or he might have been asking um, "How should I practice Zen?" Or he might have been asking both. What is the way?" And uh, his teacher, Nan Chuan said, uh, ordinary mind is the way. So now we're talking about this, you know, Buddha's enlightenment, Buddha's great awakening. Is, this teacher says it's called ordinary mind. Maybe, maybe uh, at least when people first started talking that way, zen people in ancient china maybe it was kind of shocking to talk about buddha's awakening as ordinary mind ordinary mind is the way but um jiao uh young jiao uh, could accept that that answer um but then wanted to know well, okay ordinary minds the way that Let's get down to business now. How are we going to practice with this? So he asked, um, uh, well, should I direct myself towards it? If ordinary mind is the way, I should try to find it. I should try to direct myself towards it. That's one translation. Maybe another way to to understand his question is, um, well, should I direct my attention to towards this ordinary mind? If that's the way, shouldn't I pay attention to it and focus on it? Should I, should I direct my attention to this ordinary mind to, okay. to know it? Sounds like a reasonable assumption, doesn't it? But Jai said, uh, if you direct yourself towards it, or if you, if you direct your attention towards it, you separate yourself from it. Oh uh, maybe, maybe young Zhaodohou s- s- said to himself, "Oh." <laughs> maybe he sighed. "Great." Or like, here's this way that I'm, I'm totally devoted to. I, I want to practice the way and realize the way. Um, but, uh, I'm not supposed, if I, if I, if I direct my attention towards it, I separate myself from it, or if you, if you aim towards it, you go away from it, the teacher's saying. So this is kind of a hint. It might sound like a paradox or, a, uh,
1: you know, trying to confuse
0: young Gyaojo or something, but, uh. It's a it's a hint about what this ordinary mind is like. It it can't be some thing over there. It can't be somewhere outside of our own being right now. If it were outside of our own being right now, then we could direct our ourself towards it. We could aim towards it or direct our attention towards it. Like there's like if um if the instruction was, um, this cup is the way. And then, and then we're, the teacher said, uh, we could ask, should I direct my attention towards it? And we could say, yeah, in order to know and experience this cup, you should direct your attention towards this cup. But it's, the way is not like this cup that's like out here apart from the mind. It, um, it is our very nature. It is our very being. So if we try to, um, attend to it as another experience, like the cup, another experience like the cup that seems to be outside of ourselves, if we direct our attention to it like that, then um, we separate from it. Which kind of implies that we're maybe not separate from it to begin with, but if we try to look for it as something, then we actually separate from it. So, um, so young Zhao Zhou says, funny here is, if you direct yourself towards it, direct your attention towards it, you'll separate yourself from it. Then uh, uh Zhou says, well, if I don't direct my attention towards it, then how can I know it? Very reasonable questions, I think, right? We want to know. We want to know the way. That's the whole point of why he's bringing up this conversation, I want to know the way. And if I don't direct my attention towards it, then how can I know it? Good question, I think. And uh, so he asks, if I don't direct my attention towards it, how can I know it? And, and Nan Chuan says, the way is not, a matter of knowing or not knowing, and uh, then commenting further, he says, "Knowing is actually just delusion." And I think he's talking about the way we normally know things outside ourselves, like, "Oh, I know, I know, there's a cup over here." That kind of knowing, strictly speaking, in in the Zen tradition is kind of a delusion to know something in this dualistic way. Dualistic means there seems to be a split into two. Duality is like, is the realm of two. And the split seems to be like, there's somebody over here knowing, and there's something over here that's known. That's how we usually think There's, there's me or a mind over here, it's knowing an object, we often call it an object, over here. That's how we know objects. We, 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 we direct our attention towards them, and then we know them as objects. Uh, so in this case, Na Chuan saying, the way is not in, in the realm of knowing things in this way, this kind of knowing. Knowing things as external objects external to the mind. That's dualistic knowing. And um, so he says, knowing is delusion. And I think we can understand it, that that kind of knowing, knowing something outside of ourself, is is a kind of a split, divided knowing. It's a little bit off. It's not that deluded to say, what is this? It's a cup. I know it's a cup. It's not that deluded. <laughs> I mean, in a way, that's true. Conventionally speaking, that's true. But from the Zen perspective, that's a big statement to say. That kind of, To know that this is a cup is actually a kind of delusion. And that this cup is something other than the mind that's knowing it. That's like... That's a, a, a kind of a strict statement. Knowing... But that's what I think he means by knowing is delusion. But then he says not knowing is just um, confusion. Like if we were to say, um, well then, okay, we're not gonna try to know this, this cup or this ordinary mind. Let's just try to like stop all our thinking and just don't know anything at all. We'll just be like a drooling zombie. <laughs> a vegetable. Um, so that, so that's, that kind of not knowing, that kind of not knowing is just confusion. So, so remember, um, young Zhaozhou is asking, um, well, if I don't direct my attention to the way, the ordinary mind, then how will I know it? Uh, isn't, that, isn't this important to know ordinary mind? Zhaozhou says, uh, the way, or ordinary mind, is not a matter of knowing it or not knowing it. And there's a problem with both. Problem with knowing it as some as something as some external thing or as some particular experience that kind of knowing is a kind of delusion but not knowing it at all is just like well let's forget about it forget about this ordinary mind thing it's too confusing let's just um let's just have some water or something <laughs> I'm like, no no this is really important this is like the most important thing for jiaojo ordinary mind Not knowing would just be... We already feel like we don't know this ordinary mind, so we just carry on with our usual um, confusion. Knowing, in this way of knowing a separate object, knowing some experience other than the experiencing itself, that kind of knowing is, uh, is delusion, but not knowing in this sort of oblivion or like, it doesn't matter, is a kind of confusion. So that's this kind of, this kind of conundrum in Zen. It's like, this feels like this double bind, like, uh, well, now we really feel stuck in this strange, stuck kind of way. If we're really devoted, like I think Zhaudya was, to this conversation, this is really important to clarify this ordinary mind. But... uh, now I'm feeling stuck, because if I try to know it as something, that's not it. But if I try to just forget about it and not know it at all, that's not it either. And uh, Nan Tuan goes on to say, uh, since it's not in the realm of knowing or not knowing, that's how it is. But when you truly do arrive at the way, or this awakened Buddha mind, that's also called ordinary mind, you'll find uh, when you arrive at this ordinary mind without any doubt, when you really come to trust it without any doubt, then you'll find that it's um, it's as vast as space. It's a lot like space, ordinary mind. And, uh, which gives a little hint to these earlier questions, like, um, what if he were to have asked, um, um, Okay, I want to know space, like there's spa- space in the room right now, right? Like the space in the room. What if you were to ask, I, I want to know space. Should I-, should I direct my attention to space? And we could imagine the teacher could say, um, if you direct your attention to space, you kind of separate from space because space isn't located anywhere, right? It's, it's everywhere. You can't really direct your attention to space. And then, and then we could imagine Chaudhur saying, "Well, if I don't direct my attention to space, how can I know space?" And we could imagine the reply being, "Well, um, space, like the space in the room, is not really in the realm of knowing it as a thing like this cup that we direct our attention towards to know it." we can't really know the space in the room by directing our attention to it. If we do, we, we direct the attention to some little piece of it, but that's not the whole of space. Isn't, isn't the space in the room the kind of thing that we can't exactly direct our attention toward like we can towards this cup because this cup is like located in this particular place, but space is not located anywhere? So I think it, it's, a, it's a great analogy for ordinary mind it's like space and then and then if if we continue asking these questions as if we're asking about space we could say um, space is not in the realm of knowing it as some located thing but it's also not in the realm of um, not knowing it at all which would just be confusion because we do know space in a way right it's like we can't just say, "Well, if I can't if I can see space and get a hold of space, and there isn't any space, and there's no way to, to, you know, experience space or to actually um, verify space, because there is space, right? There is space here. It's not like it's nothing. <laughs> it's not like it's nothing, because it's space. Space is not." exactly nothing, right, it, it's, it's filling, it's filling the room, it's, um, it's filling all of us. And we're living in space. So it's not like it's nothing, but it's also not like it's a thing either. Right? So space, I think, is a really good uh, kind of analogy. For ordinary mind, it's like space. That's what Nanjuan say. When you f- finally arrive at ordinary mind without any doubt about it, you'll find that it is like vast, boundless space. Now we're not talking about the... Um, the kind of outer space that's filling the room here, we're talking more about, like, we might say, like, inner space of our own awareness. Not exactly inner that it's, like, inside our head or inside our body, but um, as contrasted with with so-called physical space, which is, you know, it's not a physical object, but A physicist would talk about it as one of the physical elements, maybe. It's called space. The Buddha talked about it as sometimes four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. Sometimes he'd add in a fifth called space. Space, now we're being like a kind of an element of the world. But here we're talking about a space a lot like this physical type of space, but this is like the space of our own awareness. We might feel like our own awareness is is um, is feels limited, or or stuck, or or um, contracted, or um, bounded, or it's somehow our awareness is like stuck inside our skull or something. We might feel that way sometimes, but like our awareness isn't stuck inside our skull, eh It's not actually located anywhere, yes, there's a brain inside the skull, but our awareness, our experience and awareness is is actually not located anywhere, and therefore, because it's not located, how could it have any boundaries or edges? Only located things can have can have located edges and boundaries oh, our our own ordinary awareness is like that. it doesn't have it doesn't have a location and therefore doesn't have edges it doesn't even have a center. Ordinary mind, Buddha nature is like space. The Buddha said this too about Buddha nature, and uh, now Nan Chuan is saying it about the way, also called ordinary mind. And uh, finally, his final statement: This is again the way, which he had previously defined as ordinary mind, is not a matter of knowing or not knowing, and, uh, and when you when you. Really, come to arrive at the ordinary mind that you already are you 'll find without any doubt that it's that it's vast like space, and how can we talk about this in terms of like existence and non existence things like that that 's his final statement, and we could say that space like this like the space in the room. Also, I think we could apply right. this. It's not really something that exists, but it's also not something that doesn't exist. It's not nothing, but it's not a thing either. So it's not in the realm of existence or non-existence. It doesn't fit into these categories. So that's what um, what, what Nan Chuan said to Diao, Diao. And when Zhao heard this whole thing, and I think he was really present for this conversation, and he was trying to apply it to his own experience as he heard it. And when he heard the full, this full um, pointing from his teacher, um, he realized ordinary mind. He realized his own Buddha nature. And, uh, and that story got recorded and translated into English. And now we've all heard it today. It's almost a miracle. <laughs> and then that was, Zhao was like a teenager or something. And then, um, as I recall, he stayed with his teacher, Nan um until his teacher died, which was, I think, like... Um, 60 years, something like that. Maybe Zhao Zhou was around 20. He stayed with his teacher for the next 60 years. I think so. Maybe his teacher was quite old then. If his teacher was 30, he could have lived to 90. So then Zhaozhou Zhou was um, 80 when his teacher died. And he, said, he thought, finally now um, I can go um, see what's happening in other Zen places around China. He was very devoted to his teacher. I'm just going to stay here and practice with him um, as long as I can. But once his teacher was gone, then he started this pilgrimage where he just wandered all around China and visited other um, Zen teachers and had conversations like this with him, with with them, Um, until uh, I think think for um, like 20 more years he did this. Till he was 100. I think I'm get, if I'm getting the story right. Zhao this was extraordinary. <laughs> right? Between 80 and 100, he walked all over China just to visit Zen centers and Zen teachers. And then when he was 100, he finally thought, I'm getting a little old to keep walking around like this. My straw sandals are all worn out. I should settle down. <laughs> so he stopped and the in a town called Jiao Province, Chinese Zhaozhou. and um, found a found a place to um, a small place to reside, and that became this Zen temple. And um, then he taught. He finally said, "Maybe, maybe I've been practicing long enough. I could start teaching at age 100." And he taught for another 20 years till one till he was 120. At least that's the story. And not typical of these other ancient Zen ancestors. They don't usually live that long. The Jiao Du is like this rare occasion to live to be 120. Is it true? once I was, I was in China wandering around to different Zen temples and I went to Zhaozhou's temple and uh, it's thriving it's a thriving Zen community in mainland China now. One time when, when Zhaozhou was living there in the province of, he, he took on the name of the town he lived in Zhaozhou and uh, um, one time When he was living there, uh, um, one of the practitioners asked him, what's the meaning of uh, bodhidharma coming from India to China to bring Zen? It's a question they'd often ask. What's the meaning of bodhidharma coming from the West? Which was a Zen-style way of asking, what's the way, actually? And uh, so the so Zhao student, now he's a teacher, his student said, what's the, what's the actual essential meaning of, uh, of Bodhidharma bringing Zen from India to China? And Zhao said, the cypress tree in the garden. Maybe they were actually looking out over the garden where there was a cypress tree. So that was the first thing that came to his... Um, Mouth. And now, now in, in China, when I went to Zhao temple, it's called um, Cypress Tree Temple. And there's these cypress trees all over the grounds, I think based on that old story. So um, now we don't know if those are descendants of cypress trees that were there, and Zhao looked at one and said the cypress tree in the garden, or whether um, after he said this famous statement, the cypress tree in the garden if after that they started planting cypress trees at Jowdo's temple as a kind of memorial to him but it's kind of like which came first, the chicken or the egg question but now there's cypress trees there Why would you say that if it's not outside? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ooh. If, if, uh, so, did you hear Shoho's question? Hi. She said, um, what's the meaning of Bodhidharma? It's coming from the West, right? And Jaijara said, the cypress tree in the, gar- in the garden. And she said, why would he say that if it's some object outside himself? Right? Good. I think that's a good question. Like, I'll be like, what's the meaning of what's ordinary mind? This cup. Wait a second. I thought we just said this, knowing things like this cup is just dualistic consciousness. It's just, that's delusion. Why would we, um, why would he use this object to talk about ultimate reality, right? And, uh, I say, ooh, because I don't know if I can remember the details of the story, but, uh, but there's, um, uh, I think maybe it was another time to, um, another asked, either the extended version of the same story or someone else asking, um, what's, the, what's the ultimate meaning of Zen, right? The cypress tree in the garden. And, uh, and the follow-up was, um, was another practitioner in the assembly asked just what Shoha asked. Have you heard the story? You haven't? That's amazing. To ask why, why? are you teaching using an object, like the tree, the tree? I'm pretty sure that's how the story goes. Exactly. And then, um, and or why? I think it, I think the person says why? Why are you teaching um, using objects, using things, uh, external things like the tree, and. Um, and Jaudu said, um, I'm not teaching using objects. I don't teach using external objects. And the person asked again, okay, well then, tell me really then. Why did Bodhidharma come from the West? And Jaudu said, the cypress tree in the garden. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, w- I wouldn't have brought this up, but it forced me to. <laughs> Because this is a little more subtle, right? And we might say, that's just that Zen nonsense kind of talk. But um, I think really th- we could say the point of, that, of this extended dialogue was, was look at, looking at things like cups and cypress trees and Jowder saying, I'm not using objects. Well, then say it without an object. The cup or the cypress tree. In other words... We usually think of this as an object, and you're kind of critiquing me for talking about objects. But actually, this is not an object separate from mind, and it's not separate from the ultimate meaning of Zen, and it's not it's not something other than ordinary mind itself. Now that maybe sounds weird, right? Um, but um, but maybe one way to approach this would be that, like, uh, remember, if ordinary minds like space with no edges or boundaries, this, the space in the room here, if we start relating to the space in the room as an analogy, we could say there's all these things that are appearing in the room, like like this cup and all of us are, are appearances in the space of the room, right? So um, if if we say ordinary mind is like the space in the room, it's just the only difference is that here we're talking about an aware space, a cognitive space. But there's things happening in this aware space, are there not? In fact, everything that's happening to us right now, could we not say that everything that's happening to us is happening in the space of our awareness? Right there's like there's a there's a vision of this cup. There's seeing a cup. Or well, where is where is the experience of the cup happening? It's happening in awareness for each of us. Right? And same with the sound of this voice. Where is the sound of the voice happening? It's happening in the space of our awareness. Or it's in ordinary mind. And especially if we take something like the sound that we're hearing right now sound of the rain and the voice it's like um if we start really examining it and these people i think spent a lot of time in zazen so they had a lot of time to examine these kinds of things you know let's say the sound of the rain is it is it happening out there as an object or is it actually just within the space of awareness and even deeper is it actually just awareness itself taking the form of sound is the cypress tree that they're looking at in the garden something other than the knowing of it other than the awareness of it thanks for that prompting that that kind of extended footnote <laughs> to ordinary mind is the way uh, so that's that's um, Jao um awakening to the way and uh, and uh, some stories about his later life he's one of the great one of the great Zen ancestors he you might actually know Jaojo, because I think his most famous story is one that's very popular. Is that a that a uh, a practitioner came to Jaojo and asked, "Does a dog have Buddha nature?" And Jaojo said, "Mu," or right. "No." Mu is Japanese. "No." That's a, that's probably maybe the most famous Jaojo story. But this is ordinary mind is the way this is the first story of him working it out with his teacher like that. You know that story? Um, Does a dog have Buddha nature? Mm -hmm. Classic, classic and Koan. That's Jodhryu. Which, interestingly, is another Buddha nature story. Of course, the context is that the teaching from the Buddha is that all beings have Buddha nature. That's like what Buddha nature is. It's the, it's the true nature of all sentient beings. Of course a dog is a sentient being. Of course the dog has Buddha nature. Why did, the, why did this monk even ask Jyado if a dog has Buddha nature? Does a dog have Buddha nature or not have Buddha nature? And Jyado said, No! It's not like that does it have it or not have it does it not have it or have it does it have it or not have it does it not have it or have it no I think it was like that well I recently read a story that Jarodjo was supposed to be this very soft spoken teacher very dynamic and these 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 radical sayings like the cypress tree in the garden and no but the but somewhere, I guess, it says that Jado was supposed to be very soft-spoken, so sometimes we think of Jodo saying, No! But actually, the, <coughs> the proposal was that, um, does a dog have Buddha nature or not have Buddha nature? That really, he just said, No. Maybe it was very quiet like that. No. <laughs> we don't know anymore how how, he's, how exactly he said no. In Chinese, it's actually woo. But in Japanese, it's moo. But he would have said Wu. So, um, that's a lot of strange stories. Um, <laughs> any, any, any questions about all that? Especially about ordinary mind? this is a chance to clarify ordinary mind without directing our attention towards it